We have to get to Portland so that we can get some Portland magic. That would... I mean, Portland's just magical on its own. It is. That's what I heard. It's at the center of many ley lines. That should be the name of a brothel. The ley line. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Crooked Thimble. This is the Pile of Shame podcast. I am your co-host, Trick Dempsey. And I'm your other co-host, Brianna Dempsey. And together we are still the Pile of Shame, much as we were seconds ago. The rules are simple. Each week, Brianna and I play one hour of one of the games that we have left unplayed on our Steam library. So, what did you play this week, Brianna? This week I played Cave Story. What did you play, Trick? I played Alien Isolation. Cool. Can you say something nice about Cave Story? Something quick. quick uh, so, quick kindness, I really enjoyed the way that the art and the music came together to make this really strangely endearing experience out of a genre of game that is honestly very brutal. It's an action platformer. So you're saying that, that the art and the music came together? To make it endearing when otherwise it would just be action-y violence. I will say a quick kindness about Alien Isolation. Yeah. It brought its art and its music together to make something very, very tense out of something that maybe wasn't very tense. Oh. Sound design, art design, spectacular. Good job, guys. Well done. Apparently, this week's all about sound and visuals. That's fine. If we can get tangented onto sound and visuals, we'll be great. This is a podcast. We can talk about visuals all day. Cave Story came out originally in 2004 as the personal project of a Daisuke Amaya. But anyway, it's a one-man team. Uh, originally released to PC the internet uh, in 2004. And released on Steam in 2011, which is when I acquired it with my humble indie bundle. The other thing about Cave Story is it's a single-player platformer adventure uh, in the style of what I am told is generally called Metroidvania. This isn't really a term that I use myself very often, but apparently if I say this to gamers, it will mean things. I've never played a Metroid game. We could... That's actually surprisingly hard for us to fix. Yeah. Uh, we, we We could do a lot of Metroid derivatives, but most Metroid games are restricted to consoles we don't have. They're yeah. on my DS, if there is a good Metroid on DS. So, maybe commenters, by the way, we have a comment section. Please come and tell us if there is a good Metroid game on the DS, and we will extend a pile of shame to playing on a 3DS. Ooh. I've largely considered Metroidvania to be a subcategory of what I call key item games. Um, key item games kind of being best described by Zelda. The way that Legend of Zelda differentiates itself from Metroidvanias is Metroidvanias require a lot of re-exploration. I've passed this thing. I don't know how to interact with this thing. I'm going to get an item later that allows me to interact with that thing, and then I'm going to go back to all of the areas I've been before. So it's not just exploration, but re-exploration. Yes. And uh, meanwhile, Zelda's gone kind of on a parallel path where you have that in the open world, but in any of the dungeons, you get a key item, 
you learn to use it in conjunction with all of your previous items. You never have to get a new item and then come back to an old dungeon and find a specific room in that old dungeon to use that item in. So Alien Isolation was uh, published by Sega, distributed by 20th Century Fox, and developed by Creative Assembly. The fact that I've broken that down into three things in describing the game tells you that this is the first Pile of Shame podcast covering what would be called a AAA game. Have we done entirely indie so far? Uh, yes. Some huh. of Is this part of the evolution of the term indie game, of where it's gone from things like Cave Story, which is a one man for five years doing everything himself, yeah. to teams, studios that aren't owned by super conglomerate studios? And that gets weird. Is, because- that, is that where the term is moving? I have no idea where that's moving. Like, AAA is meaningless it's, as far as the it's, term goes. It's it means true. very expensive development. More, it means heavily promoted than it means anything else. Um, I, I really gets... feel like it mostly means heavily expensive, lots of people worked on it, and it took years. So, let me, let <laughs> but me say But that's this. maybe because I've been married to a game designer for four years. When I was working on Brothers in Arms at Gearbox, we described ourselves as independent. We weren't owned by a publisher. We had our games published by outside sources. But nonetheless, they would fall into AAA indie development. Now, no one would call them an independent developer. No one would say, oh, wow, uh, Borderlands 2, that's an indie game. Things I've learned today. AAA and indie are useless terms. Yeah, I wish, I really want indie to, to matter. Like, everybody talks about the indie-ocalypse, which is like, all the indie studios are closing down, which has no evidence whatsoever. But rather, it is really hard to get exposure as an indie, because now tools like Unity and even Unreal, which I would never have expected to say that of, have made independent development, development of, you know, two- to five-man teams, possible for people who aren't engineers or aren't even specifically dedicated, like, I'm a stellar animator. Um, because that's how Dustin Elysium Tale happened, is I'm going to spend five years and I'm a spectacular animator. I'm going to make a game. So anyway, Alien Isolation, being a AAA game, means that it's got a publisher, it's got a distributor, and it's got this developer, Creative Assembly. Now, Creative Assembly is sort of a household name, but you wouldn't expect it from a first-person horror title because maybe you're familiar with them for making the Sonic Classic Collection for the Nintendo DS, which is also uh, uh, published by Sega. Because, you know, Sonic, which is probably where their relationship started, because almost everything else developed by Creative Assembly is the Total War series of strategy games. Whoa. Yeah, you might be wondering... I'm actually familiar with that. Yeah, I know. So, Brianna, everyone, who should know at home, Brianna plays the Total War series and really likes it. Um, I think it was one of the Shogun games that was actually her favorite. I, yeah. Um, which is not uncommon. Lots of people like the Shogun That's what I hear, games. that's what I hear. So it's really weird to see Creative Assembly's name attached to this. Um, Sega does a lot of shenanigans with uh, how their second-party or third-party developers use the Aliens license. Like, famously, it was in development at Gearbox when I worked at Gearbox was their other Aliens game, Aliens Colonial Marines. Um, And there's been a lot of hit or miss with the development. A lot of people were really excited about Alien Isolation because it appeared to be a return to the franchise really reaching graphic fidelity and tone, sort of, uh, it matches the tone of the film very, very well. And it specifically matches the tone of Alien, not any of the other Aliens movies. Alien. So a lot of the Alien properties have focused on 
pulse rifles and marines and fighting the aliens and you know you're killing hordes of these things these that's crazy i've seen these movies that's kind of crazy right and uh and that's that's been a major complaint a lot of people have had is that as soon as you've given players smart guns and machine guns and things like that uh and grenade launchers and rocket launchers and all of this they're going to need to be dispatching the alien readily and easily yeah and they'll have to fight many of them. This game has more in common with the slasher genre than it does actually with anything else. Um, like if you needed to compare it to film. Which, think of it, Alien, genius movie, is a slasher flick with a really interesting setting. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I can just, see that. Here are people, they're going to wander off, they're going to get alone, they're going to get killed. Yeah. Oh, you think it's about being alone? We're going to give you a twist. We're going to kill a group of them all at once. Oh, okay. Um, And that's that's... The progression is... Very straightforward. It's actually a, a pretty by-the-book film when it gets right down to it. It's just so well executed. Now, the way that Alien Isolation handles this is it introduces you to uh, Ripley's daughter, who uh, essentially dies as a plot point of old age as part of the prologue of Aliens, the second Alien film. is establishing that this is how long Ripley's been asleep. So it is nice to see a return to that character. She's tough. She's like an engineer. She's been, uh, she's been working off the book for the company to get closer and closer to where her mother disappeared and attempt to, to, to reconnect because she hasn't given up hope. Um, that's really nice. There's a lot of that's, emotional resonance to yeah, it. Yeah, that seems really compelling, honestly. Yeah. Uh, another amazing thing is it actually has taken all of its art assets are very, very close to the original Alien film. It's got... Little hints of stuff from uh, James Cameron's Aliens, but is by and large just straight up lifting all of its art assets, all of its sound, all of its UI, most importantly, from the Alien movie. So, like, everything is done in that weird, terrible, early computer graphics era where it's like, oh, everything's done as though it were being created in ASCII art. Whenever you start up Red Dead Redemption, the way that it actually introduces you to the game is that you hear that spinning sound of somebody spinning the barrel of a revolver, and then bang, one logo comes up. Bang, another logo goes up. And they do that spin. They do that same sort of clever introduction to Alien Isolation. 20th Century Fox comes on, and it plays with a VHS filter on it with bad tracking. And it comes on, and its sound is wrong, and its image is wrong, and there's static inside of it. Same with the next logo that comes up. And then AMD shows up and says, by the way, we helped create the graphics for this game, and it looks fucking perfect. And that is exactly a perfect metaphor for how the game plays. Everything is set up. Bump, set, and then there comes the spike, and it's a total fuck up. Tell me about Cave Story. So the story kind of pushed me away from the game a little bit because I keep trying to make sense of it and it doesn't. I've since gone to the Wikipedia and read the synopsis and it kind of sort of makes sense when you summarize the entirety of the game into like three paragraphs. But that's, from what I'm given to understand, it's an extremely long game, actually as I understand, is actually fairly typical of Castlevania-type games. Yeah, they're, it's, it's, it's a genre convention that it takes forever and also doesn't necessarily present its story very well. Probably mm. the most concise story I've seen in Metroidvania was in Shadow Complex, which was an Xbox game. Mm. Xbox 360, probably. 
Oh, I remember that one. That was really interesting, actually. And it was short. It was really short. It was like two hours long. Yeah. I'm one of those weirdos. I kind of like a shorter playthrough of a game. Uh, I like like tight stories. Honestly, it's kind of convoluted and unclear story from the synopsis that's probably told over an extremely long time. And that's why in my about an hour and a half of play, I have not gotten any anything really sensical i've gotten the first few clues to this grand mystery that i it's just not compelling to me do you even know who you are no actually so as far as the start story starts up all right so you start up for some reason i'm not entirely sure why i look like a little reindeer guy slightly more than eight bits but not many uh super easy jumping puzzle uh, introduces you, if you explore the entire little tiny cave, it introduces you to the concept that if you're underwater, you start drowning. And you can't really swim. You can walk and you can jump, but jumping doesn't take you all the way to the surface. Which is honestly rather annoying. But, pet peeves aside, games have to have mechanics to make puzzles happen. I get this. Um, you get out the door, you've experienced how to save that water kills you, and uh, what things that refill your health look like. Honestly, pretty good little starting cave. Then you get out there and you're doing jumping puzzles. Honestly, I liked the puzzles pretty well. Uh, I felt like for the most part, you could take a look around the level and see, not always immediately, but pretty quickly, how to get through it. So shooting, you can shoot either horizontally or vertically, but you can't shoot on any angle in between those as far as I was able to figure out. I was playing on keyboard, so maybe if you're on a controller, maybe you can, but I don't think you can. Um, this unfortunately made it really hard. The fact that you can't shoot on the diagonal upwards or downwards made the game the puzzle's way harder when, say, there started being flying enemies buzzing around the level above your head really fast. I'm not sure if I faced any mini-bosses or bosses. I had an opportunity, so the only two plots that have happened so far that were, like, small enough to grok what's going on is two female characters got kidnapped separately. So, like, the first kidnapping happens, and there's these... Uh, apparently, I find out that they are they are actually recurring villains later. Um, there's nothing you can do about saving her at that time. The big, tough-looking one offers you the choice. Do you want to fight him or not? And you get a little yes-no box. This is the most talking your character ever does, is a yes-no box. And it never says whether you say anything other than literally yes or no, or even just, are you just nodding or whatever. You're well, a silent protagonist. I'm going to make an assumption that since you are a reindeer, perhaps you blink your nose once for yes and twice for no. I'm totally picturing that. That's adorable. Okay. Um, so I chose not to fight him because it was pretty clear the girl was already gone. He didn't have the girl. Fighting him wouldn't gain me anything. So I didn't. So no boss fight there. I will actually interrupt you here. Um, there's something strange about Japanese storytelling. I feel like there is actually like a tradition at this point that particularly is pronounced in 
Dark Souls and the Souls series in general and Bloodborne, where there's this weird desire to say, hey, we're not even going to tell the story itself. We're going to make you piece together the story itself through some sort of like obscure ritual in the game. In, in the Souls series, that is exclusively done in the descriptions of items. And you can put together this whole like convoluted, massive mythos. But nonetheless, you're not going to experience that as a player. If somebody, most players of Dark Souls are not going to know what is going on other than that they're some sort of immortal murder machine making its way from one side of the city to another. Um, there's a little bit more inside of Bloodborne. Um, but I feel like Cave Story... Cave Story has much more than those. Right. It, it's it, there. It exists, but it's not very full. I feel like that's true of other Castlevania-type games as well. Yeah, there's there's a bunch there's a bunch of it in like the storytelling of the DS Castlevania games. It hinted at it, but it really felt like there was just a whole bunch more you needed to know about. Like mm-hmm. even Super Metroid, it's got storyline like so much so like I got tearful the first time I played it and got to the end boss and my little nice. baby Metroid came and saved me. Oh. Like it's a really sweet sort of story and it's got some punch to it, but who is Ridley? Who is Craid? Who are the space pirates? What is Mother Brain to you? Like, that isn't fully explained. It's kind of carried over from the previous parts of the series, and even then, not told very well. It relies upon you being familiar with some sort of of outside-of-the-game information. Okay. And I think that most developers have moved away from this uh, concept, but it still exists as sort of a tradition that, that people dig and get something out of. So it's possible that the sparse story of Cave Story is a result of that tradition and is in many ways on purpose. That's entirely possible, and I'm I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. It didn't, like... It doesn't make the puzzle parts of the game unfun. It just disconnects me. I like a slightly more engaging story. It's a personal preference thing. It's all there is. I mean, it's very clear that... Everything about Castle Story makes a lot of people very happy. It's highly, highly acclaimed. It's done very well in reviews. And, I mean, I think it's Rotten Tomato is, like, in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. Like, it's it's spectacular. It just isn't my best. It doesn't hit me right on the bullseye. So what are the the complaints that you got? Uh, My brief complaints on a mechanical level are... So, platformers in general, jumping is a huge important part of the game, and jump height and jump length seemed really variable during my playtime, and I was honestly having a little bit of trouble piecing together what affected it which ways. This led to a lot, a lot of unnecessary death as I tried to piece together and figure out what does what, and the... Biggest worst thing um, about it was when you hit a ceiling, how long is your jump Hmm. laterally on a horizontal axis? And I could never fucking get that nailed down. It, it, I might eventually, but it's going to take me a long time to get that length memorized. Uh, If you want to see something crazy, you should... Also, the amount, I think the amount of time you hold down the jump button does affect it, which kind of annoys the shit out of me. So but on the, on the one hand, I love it. On the other hand, I hate it. And I can't decide which. 
So that variable jump, jump length based on button held down time is like a Mario tradition. Yes, I know. And I feel the same way about it in Mario. And I, as much as I've played Mario, like since I could freaking walk, I don't know whether I love or hate that. <laughs> uh, something fascinating if you watch people play Mario Maker levels is that not all, the different Mario eras had different rules. Oh, and Mario geez. Maker lets you seemingly pick what era your, your game is set in. Oh, wow. Um, but they, they, sort of retroactively add certain rules backwards that didn't exist before. Okay. Um, there's some very strange ones. Like, for example, your third jump, if you're doing a running sprint jump, is actually higher and further, which means you can make a series of puzzles that requires you to land on an exact block. Oh, Jesus. Three in a row in order to actually make a high jump at the end of this. Oh, jeez. all sorts of other weird rules, like uh, you can pick up items while doing a spin jump, but you can't do a spin jump while holding an item. So you sometimes have to start spinning, pick up an object while spinning, and then take it someplace in order to get over spikes or something. Um, what's interesting is, is when people are designing games that have these very specific jump rules. Like, oh, if you hold the button for a fraction of a second, you're only going to go so high, but you'll get the same distance and stuff like that. Um, very few of the side-scrolling Mario games... In fact, I have no recollection of a side-scrolling Mario game that actually required you to not hold the button for a long time because there's a spike pit above you that is at a set height. So that you're like, oh, I'm going to jump too high and it's going to hit the spike and that's going to be what kills me. Um, that I don't remember playing in any of the old Mario games that I've played, but is commonly used inside of Mario Maker levels as a way of like, oh, hey, I'm going to tell you that this jump is hard because I put spikes above you. Um, oh, that's nasty. And that happens in Cave Story all the time. It is one of my least favorite jumping puzzle bullets to play because it makes it far more punishing than it ought to be. And what's weird is you were an hour or an hour and a half into the game, probably, mm -hmm. given how we do this podcast. Uh, probably a little bit less, given how many times I died. Fair. Um, you shouldn't be facing that stringent jumping requirement that early in a long game. The very first level outside of that tutorial spikes on the ceiling. I, I will totally keep playing it, even if the story is crap. But if I can't get past this, my learning curve... Uh, it's gonna have to wait for a day when I'm in the kind of mood I am when I need, when I play V. Is I have to be in this very particular place where I want to f obsess about the precise pressure with which I press every single button. So let's go back to Alien Isolation. Yeah. So I played the game for a little over an hour and a half. I did it as a single big play because honestly I came here to see an alien. I came here to play a tense survival horror game where I could hide inside of closets, which I found closets I could hide in. Lockers, really. Uh, where I've got, you know, survival mechanics and I've got to be really careful with my health because I'm not going to find much to heal myself. Um, all of these things were present except for the monster or any enemies. Oh. So... In the hour and a half that I played, the first... I played until shortly after the alien makes its first appearance. Now, in some ways, this is great. They did spectacular foreshadowing. They made me somewhat care about the other two crew members who are stranded on the Sevastopol with me. Although, actually, separate from me. But they are also trapped on this space station. Um, 
they clearly borrowed, including to the point of framing and like the design of several rooms from Bioshock. Bioshock was clearly heavy inspiration. That's that's why the Sevastopol is covered inside of all of these uh, slogans and stuff that have been spray painted over, and people are distrustful of the terror AI named Apollo that is clearly directing the the synths to just kill people. Um, there's a lot of excellent foreshadowing and environmental storytelling and even just direct storytelling going on inside of the game. I never encountered what would be described as the core mechanics. I can sneak, I can walk, I can interact with objects. I've even had my first key item pairing inside of the game in which, hey, you need to have the mechanics wrench. Oh, I got the mechanics wrench. Now I can remove these things that I recognize from doors that I encountered earlier. Oh, I need the plasma torch for this because it tells me when I get to it. Oh, I need the ion torch for this, which I was surprised to find out were two separate things. Um, I can rewire these things. I actually just got to the first rewire this thing moment inside of the game, and maybe that's an awesome minigame. I will probably never find out. Um, it's rough to spend an hour and a half with a game and to still be in Prelude. Like, yeah. I came there to have tents sneaking around while a monster stalks me, and I could have gotten that from it. Penumbra, or Amnesia, or any of the other games that honestly, the horror mechanics of Alien Isolation lifted directly. It is taken from a tradition of other games that did this, and it should be an iteration on it, and it has some significant pacing problems. And that's sad, because its art is so good, its voice acting is great, its storytelling is right up there with other AAA storytelling, and it is not respecting my time at all. And... That's a pretty big sin, particularly in the context of this podcast, where we're only supposed to play the games for an hour. But also, in general, if it's been an hour and I've not really gotten to have significant interactions with your game, uh, particularly I haven't experienced the core experience of your game, we're in trouble. Like, honestly, I was disappointed, and this is going to sound insane, because this is a terrible idea, given the setting. I'm disappointed that I didn't have to play hide-and-seek at some point during the tutorial, or was chased by a human who was looking for me, um, because I have no idea what that promise is like. I know where they've lifted the mechanics, and I've played the mechanics of those games, and so I am familiar with how hiding and holding your breath, and I've got to turn off my motion detector because it makes too much noise kind of oh, stuff geez. works, but it never happened, and I feel cheated. Because I signed up for this thing and this thing never happened. But also I feel like there's a lot of lost potential in... As soon as I realized that all of the tension was coming from well-placed music, lighting, sound, and art, and not, there's an actual dangerous thing for me to worry about, I got really frustrated. Particularly the final room that I... that I, The final puzzle that I solved was, oh, I've seen the alien. Alien lances a guy. Guy dies, gets dragged off. Okay, I've got to be quiet. My character even says, I think, I've got to be quiet. Um, And then I was stuck in a dark room playing a find-the-button puzzle. Like, oh, there are little green and orange lights all over this room. One of those green and orange lights is actually something you interact with. It should be a different color. And all interactables up till that point in the entire game were orange. Now, unlocked doors were green, but strangely... 
so were a lot of other things in this room. And so it was just like, oh, this is the worst puzzle. And so I ended up spending 90 minutes of the game, because that's how long I played. I was just terrassing through this this space, you know. Really, I got into it. I, I snuck around even when it was unnecessary because there were no enemies because it, it, it instilled in you this caution. But here I was trapped in this stupid room with no actual threats, just the implied threat that the alien could hear me. So eventually I just started sprinting around until I covered every inch of it in have, is this interactable? Yes. Y slash N. And wow. uh, when I realized that I could just be sprinting through this hallway that is supposed to be dangerous, this, this, this duct, I was just like, you people. They broke the magic. They broke the magic. And the complaints that I know, because I've read about this game a lot, um, is that they break the magic. They st- they reestablish the magic when eventually this alien becomes a real and present threat. And it uses behaviors rather than scripting to go and do a job. So you actually have to worry about the fact that it is not a scripted creature, but it is a predator hunting you through a space. Problem with that is horror games lose their magic when you die a lot. Yeah. Because the moment it becomes trial and error, it's not a horror game anymore. Yeah. Um, and that is definitely, definitely going to be a problem. And I can tell it even from just sneaking around without a predator. Jeez. Made me really want to play Soma. Maybe you should do that sometime when I'm not around. Soma is going to be a more upsetting game. I don't like scary things. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm really sorry. That's that's a much rougher experience, I think, than you've had so far on this podcast. Like it It's so strange because it's so artfully crafted. It's so well told. It's so beautiful. It's in such a great setting, and it establishes that setting so well. It is so near to perfect that the things that it is drastically and unforgivably this is not an ignorable thing. This game really screws the pooch. That's what makes it so disappointing. Because if, if it had been even slightly worse at establishing its setting, oddly enough, I would probably have been happier. Because when it when it lets you down, it lets you down bad. So what's your current time played? On Cave Story Plus. About 92 minutes. Excellent. How many minutes have you played uh, Alien Isolation? I played Alien Isolation for exactly 90 minutes. Oh. That's that's longer than your minimum timer. It is, because I hadn't seen an alien yet, and oh. I wanted to get to one. And then I was strangely disappointed. Is it still installed? Cave Story is totally still installed, despite the problems I have with it. I'm probably going to continue tinkering away. Tinkering's not the right word, but playing with it periodically. Not obsessively, but every now and then, when I get a platformer itch. By the time this podcast is aired, Alien Isolation will be uninstalled from my machine. I was too busy setting up the sound equipment to uninstall. Aww. Uh, so this week I'm going to play a fun game, uh, or at least an interesting game. I think uh, I think you deserve a break from the the suffering that you've put yourself through. I'm not going to play the suffering, which, by the way, is the real name of a real game. That's a that game. I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Is that on your pile? No. Although, if a commenter wants to change that, they can. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this Crooked Thimble podcast. This has been a production of Pile of Shame. I am your co-host Trick Dempsey, and I'm Brianna Dempsey. And 
We'd like to let the Kobold Band take you away. Thank you for listening to this Crooked Thimble production. You can find us at www.crookedthimble.com. You may also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash crookedthimble.